outspoken, real, gentle as a dove, but shrewd as a snake. Don't mistake his quiet demeanor as passive or confined. He was just as comfortable with the sinner as with the socially refined. If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and die. He must deny himself, place his pride on the shelf, and realize that one must lose the world to gain his soul. His role in the divine story is to lay down his crown in all vain glory, to be a part of a movement that has turned kingdoms upside down. He must allow his pride to drown in an ocean of grace in order to see the divine face of Jesus. Jesus the lion, Jesus the king, who came to bring revolution. He overturned the tables of those who thought the ancient prophecies were mere fables and words on a page. He shocked the world, not only with his love, but also with his rage, as he hated wickedness and loved truth and life. This is our Jesus, our outrageous, untamable, undeniable Jesus. If anyone would come after me, he must hate his life and lay it all down so that he can be a part of an insurrection based on the power of a resurrection that will usher in the new age when sin will be no more. Are you ready? The king stands right outside the door. Uh, You know, we talk a lot here at Seacoast about being one church and many campuses. How cool is it that today we could have Pastor Chris Russo, who is our Columbus, Columbia campus pastor, as well as Billy DeMira, who's the worship leader from Columbia here at the Mount Pleasant campus, to provide us with an awesome, smoking, spoken word. Can I get an amen on that one? Come on. Columbia campus, we're thankful. Thankful for you. Appreciate you sharing your team with us. My name is Josh Walters. I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus, and I'm so excited that you're here to uh, worship with us today. For the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Outrageous, where we're looking at stuff Jesus said. Uh, We believe that Jesus said outrageous things because he wants us to live outrageous lives. The vision that he had for us as a people, the impact that we would make, the, the lives that we would live was so far beyond mediocre. How many of you could get excited about that? Right. Well, hey, I'm excited for both of you, and uh, why, don't we, why don't we take just a minute, pray for everybody else, and, uh, and we'll get started. Join me. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for this, uh, this weekend. We're thankful for the opportunity to come together, and most of all, God, we're grateful that you came and lived an outrageous life. Uh, God, that we might follow in your footsteps and experience the abundant life that you came to offer. I pray that you be present with us today, that you open up our hearts and our minds, that we would be attentive to anything that you might want to say or do in us. And God, we thank you for allowing the Thunder to win game seven. Pray your continued favor on them as a team. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now that we're all in agreement that we should pray for continued favor on Oklahoma City. And basketball, my goodness, I've enjoyed it. The Bible says you need to pray for the things you want, and I want them to go all the way, so I'm going to continue <laughs> to bring that before the church that we would pray. All right, well, hey, listen, I've got a, a question I want to start off asking you. When was the last time that you really wanted something? Go back, think about the last thing that you were willing to do just about anything to get. 
You know, maybe, maybe it was the, the first time you got a car. Uh, maybe you're a, a student and you're in that season right now and, and all you want is a car. So every baby that you sit or yard that you cut, every dollar you find left on the counter, every quarter in the cushion, you know, is all going towards saving up to purchase this vehicle, to pay for the maintenance or the gas, whatever it might be. Man, you just want wheels so bad. Maybe you're a little bit beyond that season and you were totally content with your life uh, until you met her. You know? Now being in a relationship with her is all you want. You find yourself writing poems, Googling words like haiku, you know, doing things that you'd never done before, taking classes you don't care anything about, uh, writing words in her food. You're doing whatever you can to communicate, hey, I'm crazy about you and I want to be in a relationship with you. Or maybe you're a little bit beyond that season and, and the want in your life is to have a job. Uh, you've put yourself through four years of college, maybe paid your way through an internship. Maybe you've, you've moved across the country. I've met a number of people here that have done that uh, in hopes of moving to a state or a region, a city where the market for the position you want is stronger. You know, or maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. And in addition to having a shower each day, how many of you ladies would say amen to that? In addition to a shower, all you want is your three-year-old to listen and obey. Uh, I feel your pain. I really do. It's all I want in my life, and I'm not a stay-at-home mom. You, know? you want them to listen and obey. So you've read books. You've watched videos online, ordered some DVDs. You've invited another mom who seems to be a toddler whisperer to come over your house and watch your parenting and watch their behavior, maybe give you some feedback. I'll tell you, one of the major wants in my life right now is a road bike. Uh, not a motorcycle, but a, a bicycle. When I was in college, I went on a, a bike trip. It was a 750-mile bike trip uh, for bikes that were loaned to us, and we had to give back. And man, ever since then, I've wanted one so bad. I'll go through seasons where, um, you know, anytime I open up my laptop, I'll pull up Craigslist or eBay to see if I can find a good deal. If I've got some time and I'm going by a bicycle shop, I'll go in just to check out the different brands and components, and I'll take a few pictures and send them to my friend. Hey, what do you think about this one? You know, is this a good deal? If I see guys out riding around town, uh, I'll check, out, check them out just to look at their bikes. Realize now that I'm saying that out loud, that could look a little awkward. <laughs> I'm checking out the bike. Let's all, let's all be clear. Well, whatever that, whatever that want is in your life, uh, whatever, you know, if you can go back and just go back to that, that hunger, that desire, the amount of your conversation uh, that it filled up, the amount of time that you gave towards it or your budget that it would consume, chances are nobody would look at the investment that you were making and say, man, that is outrageous. I just can't believe that he or she did that put themselves through, through college, paid their way through an internship, acquired a small mountain of student loans and moved across the country to get a job. You know, for most people, whatever the want is, uh, we've reasoned ourselves into taking the steps that we're taking. And, and there may be a moderate level of risk involved, but chances are by putting yourself out there, willing to take the step of faith, even if it might require some patience, things are gonna work out. Um, well, my question for you today as we get started is if you can go back to that moment, that desire, that want in your life and, and just tap into that feeling, do you feel like if you're honest with yourself right now that you have that same want to in you to follow Jesus? Do you have that same desire in you to experience his power and presence in your life? Well, today we're gonna look at a passage of scripture where Jesus lays out exactly what we have to do. If that's the desire, if that's the want in our life, he tells us exactly what we have to do. The only problem with it is that his requirements for us, 
His expectations are, are so illogical. They're so counterintuitive that in order to experience him, in order to follow him, we have to approach it unlike any of the other wants in our life. The passage we're going to look at is found in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It's there at the top of your outlines or up on the screens. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So essentially what Jesus is saying here is that if you want to live, you have to die. Now try to explain that one to your neighbor you know, who's asking you about your faith. Doesn't even sound right. How could that be? If I want my three-year-old to listen and obey, then purchasing some books, having a friend come over and asking for wise counsel, you know, seems pretty reasonable. Chances are it will pay off. But he's telling us, if I want to experience abundant life, the fullness of life that he came to offer me, the pathway to experience it is to deny myself, to not do the things that I want to do, to die to myself, that there would be a a death inside of me that I might live for him and to follow him. It just doesn't, it's not logical. It doesn't seem that it could be. In order to experience that, we have to approach it unlike any of the other wants in our life. Well, before we look at the things that he lays out that we must do, let's look at who he was talking to. First word there in that passage is whoever. Go ahead and underline, underline that word for me, whoever. Depending on the translation that you use, some translations say anyone. Point being, uh, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, regardless of the addictions that you've struggled with, uh, regardless of the hurts or habits or hang-ups in your life, the way that, that you've been hurt growing up or the way that you've hurt others, regardless of the financial decisions that you've made, the the short sale, the bankruptcy, the foreclosure, regardless of the marriages that you might have busted or broken or the kids who might not be talking to you anymore, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whoever, anyone, do you get a feel for who he's talking to? Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Thank you, a few of you responding, recording there. Some of you kept your eyes focused on me. You didn't do it. I was watching. (laughs) I'm with you. (laughs) All right. Whoever, anyone who wants, who wants with the same hunger as the teenager about to get their first car, with the same desire as the the man or woman who thinks they they might have just found the person they want to spend the rest of their life with, whoever wants to be my disciple, to be my disciple. What is he talking about there? What is a disciple and why would I want to be one? Think about passages like Hebrews 12, 2, up on the screens, it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand on the throne of God. See, Jesus was able to look at the cross with joy because he knew what was on the other side of Calvary. There was a a prize, there was a, a benefit, a payoff that not only in his death would we die, but in his resurrection, we might live. Because of his death on the cross, he gave us the ability to have a relationship with God. Thus, that we could stand on the promises of God in our life. That in having a relationship with God, we would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that his spirit is, is sealed in us until the day of redemption, that it's given to us as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. The Bible calls his Holy Spirit my counselor, my comforter, and my friend. Meaning that in the seasons where I don't know what to do, uh, where I don't know which road to take, I don't know what decision to make, that his spirit is in me as my counselor, that he can help me see what I should do, that he can give me the strength needed to take the step of faith to walk in what he's called me to. 
that he's my, my comforter when I'm broken or hurting or when somebody's done me wrong or I'm struggling to process something, that he's there with me to encourage me, literally to impart courage. He's there to walk with me. He's my friend, an ever-present help in time of trouble. He's always with me. The invitation that Jesus is extending to all of us, the prize, the payoff, is that we might have life. And it's so much more than just eternal life. It's not a ticket into heaven when you die, but it's that today you might step into the abundant life that God came to offer you. So if I, if you, if anyone, whoever wants to follow Jesus, if he is the prize, if he is what you want to experience him in your life, the three things that we have to do. Number one, there on your outline, I have to deny myself. I have to deny myself. That word there, deny, literally means to refuse or acknowledge the existence of or to deny access to. And that's just strong language. Can you imagine yourself talking in the breezeway with two friends and all of a sudden pretending like one of them wasn't there, just refusing to acknowledge their existence? (laughs) That's pretty hardcore. Well, it's with that posture that he's calling us to look at ourselves, to deny ourselves. Why in the world would Jesus call us to deny ourselves in order to follow him? I think one of the primary reasons is up until the point that I met him, and honestly, up until the point that I cried out to him this morning, my lifestyle, my worldview is built entirely around the serving and satisfying of myself. Not that I wouldn't do nice things for people or give or serve in our community, but the clothes that I wear, uh, the house that I live in, the the plans that I make, the, the future that I desire and build towards, were all determined upon and driven by me. Whereas in being a disciple requires me to deny myself that I might step into the life he has for me. A couple years ago, uh, 12 years ago, when Katie and I got married, she went to a junkyard and um, she uh, had him pull a steering wheel off of a Volkswagen and she gave it to me at our rehearsal dinner as, as our, you know, kind of my wedding gift. And if I'm honest, I was expecting something a little nicer, you know, keepsake, some kind, but I'm uh, just kidding. When she gave it to me, uh, she said, hey, I acknowledge that, that both of us can't be in the driver's seat of this relationship. Uh, I want you to know that I trust you, that I believe in you and your leadership. Take myself out of the driver's seat of life and, uh, and give you the wheel. You know, practically speaking, when we, when we deny ourselves, we take on the posture of the great theologian, Carrie Underwood. Say, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> take it from my hand. <laughs> Yeah, laugh. You know you got it on your Sunday jam list. <laughs> You're listening to it on the way in. Several weeks ago, that was funny. Several weeks ago, <laughs> I um, had an encounter with the Lord where I came away uh, just feeling kind of dry in my, in my spirit, in my faith. My, my walk with the Lord had kind of become a little stagnant. There just wasn't a lot of want in me to go after God, to really experience him in my life. And so 10 days leading up to Easter, Katie and I did a juice fast. Purpose of the fast was to deny ourselves of food, so of things that my body craved and desired. And in those moments to cry out to God that he might fill me, that he would use those moments to cultivate a hunger in me. And the primary thing that we were denying ourselves of was food, uh, more specifically barbecue bacon cheeseburgers, which I know are God's gift uh, to the earth. And so, um, and man, quickly into that 10-day juice fast, I realized that I was going to have to straight up wage war against my flesh. It was so hard for me. We would be making the kids dinner, some kind of little chicken pasta, and I, I just wanted to like 
taste in my mouth so bad. There was one time, pretty early on, I just put it in my mouth and chewed it up and spit it in the trash can. It was like so hard for me to deny myself. I'd walk around the office and there would be uh, candy bowls on everybody's desk. I never realized them before, but now I'm walking around the office realizing that I'm having to pray, Lord Jesus, would you, would you cultivate in me the same hunger I have for that bite-sized Snickers right now for you? <laughs> Use this to draw me closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it was just so hard. But I'm telling you, over the course of that 10 days, there were some things in me that had to die. Just some work that God did in me. He cultivated in me a hunger for him. Also, over the course of that 10 days, I was introduced to a, to a chubby Josh that lived inside of me. Uh, that had slowly made his way to the outside <laughs> you know, of me. I can't tell you how good it did for me. Uh, just to develop some healthier habits. My body started to crave healthier things so that I would make healthier decisions. Man, I feel more alive. I've experienced God in a fresh way. My spirit has hungered after him. You know, I don't know what it is for you. Chances are you don't have a chubby Josh living inside of you. you know? But are there any desires, any hobbies, any possessions that have slowly become a little more enticing, a little more attractive than you, than you pursuing God, than you hungering after him. The best way to re-engage, the first illogical and outrageous step that you can take to experience God is to deny yourself. Secondly, there on your outlines, he goes on to say, to take up my cross daily, take up my cross daily. To understand what that means, we have to understand what the cross represented to Jesus, which is actually very hard in my culture. Before leaving the house this morning, I just did a, you know, kind of a loop around the house to say, okay, how many crosses can I find? I found a cute little bracelet, a necklace, found this on a bookshelf, a bigger cross on a bookshelf. We, Katie had this, this kind of a super Christian shirt, you know, <laughs> this big old cross. It, it's almost become an industry. Everyone from a kid that's sitting beside you in class to movie stars on TV will rock crosses by tattoos and clothing, and they're not making a profession of faith as much as they are supporting an industry. See, to Jesus, the cross represented an instrument of torture. It was the very vehicle by which the people he came to serve and save and love would refuse him, the instrument they would use to reject him. See, following Jesus would lead to abundant life, but he made it clear to the disciples that it would be a fight. It would not lead to popularity. He made it clear to them in John 15, verses 18 through 19. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. See, the cross is the, the price that Jesus would have to pay to become what we are so that we could become what he is. He took our sin upon himself in dying for us so that he could become what we are. He became sin so that we could become what he is. In his resurrection, in conquering sin and giving us the ability to have a relationship with God, that God would look at us in the same way he looked at his son as a son or daughter of the king. When we take up our cross daily, it's just as much to identify ourselves with Christ's death as it is his resurrection. A couple weeks ago, Katie and I were at the ARC conference in Jacksonville, of which Pastor Greg is the president of the ARC, it's the Association of Related Churches, and there were a couple hundred church planners there, and some of the strongest 
leaders and communicators in the world. And one of the guys there was named Wilfred de Jesus. He pastors one of the largest, or the largest Assemblies of God church in the country. It's in the Chicago area. And last year, he was actually named as one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World. And uh, all his social media stuff is Pastor Choco. And so I affectionately referred to him as the chocolate of Jesus. And uh, he liked that. And so uh, uh, one day during his message, he was speaking on the gap and how oftentimes when we see a gap in our community, an area of need or brokenness, the reason that God would allow us to see the gap is because he's asking us to stand in it and do something about it. And as he preached, man, I just saw this like fight in him. He had so many different examples of times where he had to confront people, the, the mayor, the superintendent of education, you know, just so many times where he would go after these guys to, to fight for God's word, to fight for what he knew to be true. And man, I just wanted some of that. There was a season in my life where if I heard that kind of message, if God spoke to me, or if I saw an attribute in a leader I really wanted, I would, I'd be the last one to leave a conference, the last one to leave church, <laughs> just to go find them and wait in line and say, hey, when you spoke, God said this, or I see this in you, would you pray that over me? Man, I want that. Well, this time I come out of the message processing what I felt like God said to me and I ran into Pastor Choco. He was right there in the breezeway. So I said, man, Pastor Choco, what a great word. Thank you so much. I feel like God said this. I see this in you. I want to affirm that. It was just awesome. Hey, can we take a picture? So we took a picture. Here we go. I think I ran into like Bieber or something, you know? (laughs) So I walk away and I heard the Lord again. You know, partly the Lord. It might have been part of me. I don't know how it worked. First time I'd ever heard God call me a name, but... The only thing that was going through my head was, you pansy. Like, there was a season in your life where you would have gone after the greater gift. You would have said, man, I want that in me. Would you pray over me? This time you see the guy and you ask for a picture? What are you going to do with a picture? Put it on your desk? You know, it's like, what is that? And so thankfully that night, Pastor Greg had a president's dessert. And uh, uh, Pastor Choco was there along with a bunch of the other church planners. And I staged a conversation kidnapping. Have you ever done one of those? I got Pastor Tim Lindsay, who leads the well here at the Mount Pleasant campus. He's got a big personality and outspoken guy. And Pastor Choco was talking with a bunch of folks. And I said, all right, Tim, I need you to step in right there and introduce yourself to all these guys. And at that moment, I'm going to come in behind you. Say, hey, Pastor Choco, how you doing? And we talked for a minute. So things went according to plan. Tim stepped in. I kidnapped Pastor Choco for a minute. And uh, said, hey, Choco, I need to apologize. Man, I, I asked you for a picture earlier. And And it was a good picture, but I I really didn't want it. (laughs) I was like, man, I see this fight in you that I want. There's a gap in our community as it pertains to uh, foster care. There's 250 kids uh, that don't have homes that are destined to repeat the life cycle of brokenness they've grown up in. And and we need families. We need funding. We need people to step up and open their homes. And I want to stand in the gap there. I want to see God use me. I want to see God use our church that Seacoast will be known for resolving that problem. Will you pray for us? And he looked at me, he was taking it all in. He said, are you ready to die? <laughs> it was just crickets inside of me, you know? Like, no, you know? Initial thought was, man, I'm trying to solve the foster crisis, not add to it, you know? <laughs> Ain't nobody gonna take on Team Walters? <laughs> like, for real, it's hard work. They're gonna have to divide them, subdivide, you know? Asher needs his own house. It's just gonna be tough, you know? And so... I sat there, he was silent. He was waiting on an answer. And so I said, yeah. You know, and it was, about that, it was about that convincing. You know? And he said, you've got to decide right now if you're ready to die. 
said, because if you're not, there's going to come a point where it's too hard to follow through. You don't have the funding, the families. There's going to be problems that you're faced with that are, are much bigger uh, for you to scale or solve or get around. And if you don't decide you're ready to die right now, it's going to be way too easy for you to throw in the towel as soon as you hit that point and you'll quit. So you've got to decide you're ready to die. And he said, and if you see the gap and you don't step in it, then you're just passing off the problem to your children. He said, David wouldn't have had to kill Goliath in chapter 17 if Saul would have done what he was supposed to do in chapter 15. God bless you. And he walked away. (laughs) And I'm telling you, man, the word of the Lord just pierced me. Are you ready to die? It's like, man, even as a pastor, it's like I'm I'm looking at this gap, this problem in our community, and, and my willingness to die had never even been on my radar. It's not a question I had asked myself pertaining to this issue at all. See, Pastor Choco knew that in order for God to do something outrageous through me, it was going to have to start by him doing something outrageous in me. I had to be willing to die to myself. So my question for you is, what are you ready to die for? What are you willing to die for? Maybe it's a gap in the community that that you feel like God might be calling you to stand in, or maybe it's to fight for your marriage or find a job. Well, whatever it is that you're wanting or, or running towards or working on, in order to, to see God do something outrageous, in order for you to experience his power and presence in your life, we have to deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross daily. And number three there on your outlines, we have to follow him. We have to follow him. See, following Christ is all about movement. And there's gonna be seasons of your life where it feels like you're taking baby steps and they come slow. And there's gonna be seasons where it feels like they're big strides and it's a sprint. Either way, following him isn't about a decision that we made at one point. It's about a decision that we're making every day. And when you wake up, you say, God, I'm going to follow you today. Last fall, I went on the men's hike here at the church, and there's a portions of that hike where you walk solo. Uh, they give you a, uh, a passage to read on or think about, and uh, they send you out about 20 or 30 yards at a time. And as you're meditating on the passage, praying over the passage, it's also important for you to be mindful of the dude in front of you <laughs> because there's campsites and other trails that cut off and teams have actually been separated before. Uh, I, had to, I had to keep my eyes focused on the person that was in front of me and follow after him. See, oftentimes I think that's what it looks like for us to follow Christ. There's seasons where in our faith it feels like I'm right on his heels. Man, I come to church and, and I get a fresh word from the Lord. I encounter him in worship. I open up my Bible to have my quiet time and man, he's there and speaking to me. But then there's other seasons that feel quiet where, man, the best I can do is attach myself to somebody that I see God working in. It's like, man, a friend, your, your spouse, that you, you, you know God speaks to them, you know they're walking with them, they're full of faith, and you just gotta tie yourself to them. You know, this is what Paul meant when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Honestly, that's been one of the, the greatest unexpected blessings of the covenant of marriage. Man, there's been seasons where I was just dry in my faith, where Katie was hungry to go after God, that I could just piggyback on her faith. And that's fine. There's going to be seasons where it takes doing that. His instruction may not seem logical. Uh, his requirements may seem outrageous. But in order for us to step into the abundant life that he has for us, we have to deny ourselves, we have to take up our cross, and we have to follow him. The next logical question then is how do we do that? Because I'm going to tell you from the first time that I did it as a junior in high school to say, God, I'm all in. I want to experience you to 10 days before Easter when I decided that I was going to deny myself for a season. The step was no easier. 
Man, it's such a hard step. There's so many times where your spirit may be willing, but your body is just weak. Man, it is hard to die to yourself. It's hard to deny yourself. So how do you do it? Number one there on your outlines, it says, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says it this way, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, if you're hearing this message and you're thinking, well, man, I just, I can't do it. I would applaud you and say, you're absolutely right. You can't. And the disciples couldn't do it either. When Jesus left them, he said, you stay in Jerusalem. Don't leave until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because with the gift of the Spirit comes power. The power to be able to follow through on the things that you want to do, but you can't do. You need his Spirit's power work in your life to impart courage, to enable you to take the steps that you feel like he's calling you to take. Second way that we can do it is in a community of believers, in a community of believers. Hebrews 10 says it this way, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Let us hold tightly to our hope. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. I love that. This past Thursday morning, I texted Pastor Josh about 7.15 and said, hey, I need to come wherever you are. I had a message written for the weekend, but felt like God sent us in a totally different direction and notes were due at noon. So I was like, hey, brother needs some wise counsel. <laughs> you know, so I hijacked his men's group. It's been a theme in my life here recently. And uh, said, uh, hey guys, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think? And they all kind of spoke into it. And as they were leaving, they said, hey Josh, what are the two greatest problems you're having at work and at home? Text them to me and I'll be praying for you. I was like, man, just, that's a simple thing. But when we think, just be creative in ways that we can motivate one another. It's like, man, that's, that's invaluable. We need people like that in our life. People that we're walking with, with such a degree of regularity that they, they see when we start to get off course. They're able to identify desires in us or, or lies that we're believing that might not be honoring to God and call us on them. They're people that, that love us but aren't all that impressed with us. He said, don't give up meeting together as some of you are in the habit of doing. It's all too easy in life when we get in a busy season or a stressful season to kind of put small group to the side. You know, we got to get through this or we got to get through that when the reality is God has given us a community of believers, a church, so that we might finish strong, so that we might be able to, to hold firmly to our faith and, and share in all of the promises of Christ. We need each other. So we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit in a community of believers. And number three, they're on your outline, one day at a time. One day at a time. Hebrews 3, Hebrews 3 says it this way. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. See, I don't think any one of us one day at a time wake up and say, you know what, today's the day that I'm going to throw it all away. But slowly over the course of time, as we fail to walk in the power of his spirit to do the things we know we need to do, as we fail to live in a community of believers that are going to call us to the mat on things that, that, that are pulling us away from God or robbing us of the life he came to offer, our hearts can become hardened. And all of a sudden, we wake up one day feeling separated from God. 
not hearing his voice and in desperate need of him. If we will deny ourselves, if we will take up our cross and follow him, we will walk in, we'll experience the abundant life he came to offer. There'll be a newness, a freshness to our spirits that'll be attractive to people. Man, that's the kind of church that excites me. I get so many emails from people that visit Seacoast and leave saying, I haven't been to church in a long time or, or maybe I've never been to church and had totally judged what the experience was gonna be like and who you were gonna be like. And man, I came away and I f- it felt like family. I saw something in those people. I, I experienced God. I encountered God in a fresh way. Man, that's, that's what I want to be true of us. That's what is true of us. It's the same thing that when people came away from the disciples, Scripture says uh, that, that people took note that they had been with Jesus. You know, as we finish today, I'd ask God for a picture, you know, some kind of illustration that would help you kind of get your hands around what's this step supposed to look like. And the only thing that came to mind was that of a, a person drowning. If you've ever seen someone fall in a pool or maybe in an ocean off a boat or something, their natural instinct is to flail their arms and kick their legs, do whatever they can to just get their head above water to get their next breath. Well, lifeguards are trained that when they jump in to save someone, uh, they're trained, first of all, to try to help calm them down so that they can actually get close and rescue them. Uh, Because if they don't, oftentimes out of panic, when someone is drowning, they'll grab the lifeguard and push them down and drown them just in an attempt to try to get their next breath and save themselves. So lifeguards are trained to exhale fully uh, so that they sink and essentially become dead weight in hopes that the person drowning will, will let go of them. Well, as you attempt to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus, if you picture yourself as the person who's drowning, in which you would have to exert all kind of external energy, flailing your arms, fighting for your next breath, to provide for yourself, to fulfill yourself. Coming to Jesus, stepping into the life he has for you requires the same amount of energy, but it's nothing external. It's nothing that you have to do to to prove yourself or to please him, but it's an internal energy that you have to exert in surrendering to him, that you might receive the abundant life he came to give you. You could never earn it. But as you deny yourself, as you wage war against your flesh, as you step away from the desires that rob you of the abundant life he came to offer, man, you'll step in to the fullness of everything that he came to give you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this word. God, we're thankful that you made it so clear uh, for what we must do if we want to follow you, if we want to be identified with you. God, it is counterintuitive. It's illogical. It requires so much faith on our part to trust in you that you are good, that if we lay down our desires, if we deny ourselves, if we take up our cross and follow you, that the fruit, the prize, the outcome of that would be abundant life. God, I pray for each of us here today that you would just open our hearts, open our minds to whatever it is that you might want to do in us and through us now. In Jesus' name, amen.